Good evening. Biden says he's heading to Brussels next week to meet with NATO over the bloody war in Ukraine. The debate over biological laboratories found in Ukraine upends America, at least on Fox News. We talk to our team of experts on the war and its causes and the movement to halt solitary confinement uh, calls, joins calls for a mass protest near City Hall tomorrow. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Tuesday, March 15th, 2022. Sarah Bloom Raskin withdrew today as President Joe Biden's nominee to become the top bank regulator at the Federal Reserve. The move comes one day after a key Democratic senator and moderate Republican said they would not back her, leaving no path to confirmation by the full Senate. Biden responded in a statement. Despite her readiness, Sarah was subject to baseless attacks from industry and conservative interest groups. Raskin had been favored by progressive Democrats such as Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts, but Republicans on the Senate backing committee had blocked progress on the nomination for the beds for the Fed's Board of Governors by refusing to attend voting sessions. But when Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, a conservative Democrat from a Republican leaning state that is among the country's biggest coal producers, announced his opposition to her, followed by those no's from moderate Republicans. Her nomination was effectively over. In a 50-50 Senate with Vice President Kamala Harris, the tiebreaker, there was no way forward for the nomination. And Republican lawmakers in Georgia were poised today to advance a bill expanding law enforcement's power to investigate election fraud. Today's expected vote in Georgia's House of Representatives comes less than a week after Florida's Republican-controlled legislature approved the law creating a new election police force, the first of its kind in the nation. Voting rights groups and Democrats in both states say the legislation is intended to appease Trump and the new laws will result in voter intimidation, especially for people of color, providing a pretense for politicians to undermine confidence in the outcome of elections. And Russian billionaire Roman Abramovich jetted into Moscow today as the Spanish government sees more assets belonging to Russia's rich and the European Union banned exports of caviar and luxury goods. Abramovich was among several Russian billionaires added today to an EU blacklist that already includes dozens of wealthy Russians. World governments are seeking to isolate Putin and his allies over the invasion of Ukraine, which Russia calls a special operation. The latest sanctions follow three rounds of punitive measures, which included freezing of assets of the Russian Central Bank, exclusion from the swift banking system of some Russian and Belarusian banks, and the asset freeze of oligarchs and top politicians, including Putin and foreign minister Sergei Lavrov. Abramovich is owner of the Chelsea Soccer Club in England, being targeted by British sanctions. A planned sale is on hold as the team plays under a special government license. Also targeted is Abramovich's $600 million yacht, apparently anchored near the coast of Albania. And President Joe Biden will travel to Europe for an extraordinary NATO summit on Ukraine next week as the refugee tally from the invasion hit 3 million and Russian airstrikes hit targets in Kyiv today. NATO leaders will meet at the Military Alliance's headquarters in Brussels on March 24th to discuss the crisis that has prompted fears of wider conflict in the West. Meanwhile, Talks between Russia and Ukraine via a video link resumed today. Ukrainian officials played up hopes the war could end sooner than expected. In a hint of possible compromise, Zelensky said Ukraine was prepared to accept security guarantees from the West that stopped short of its long-term objective of joining NATO. And that's Volodymyr Zelensky, the president of Ukraine. 
Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov said it was too early to predict progress in the talks. He said the work is difficult, and in the current situation, the very fact that the talks are continuing is probably positive. In related news, United States public opinion has been riled by accusations made by Russia last week that dozens of biological laboratories that handle deadly pathogens used in warfare were told to close by the World Health Organization as Russian troops closed in. The U.S. government has clamped down hard on the story, claiming it's a false flag operation by Russia to cover up its own unproven plans for using biological weapons, something denied by Russian authorities. Earlier this week, Former Congressperson Tulsi Gabbard, who is a lieutenant colonel in the Army Reserves, posted a video where she said the Russian government was raising legitimate questions that should be answered. Here are the undeniable facts. There are 25 to 30 U.S. funded biolabs in Ukraine. According to the U.S. government, these biolabs are conducting research on dangerous pathogens. Ukraine is in an active war zone with widespread bombing, artillery and shelling. And these facilities, even in the best of circumstances, could easily be compromised and release these deadly pathogens. Tulsi Gabbard, after being informed of Gabbard's statement, Utah Senator and former GOP presidential candidate Mitt Romney accused Gabbard of treason a death penalty crime, and she got support from an unexpected source, ultra-right Fox commentator Tucker Carlson, who read the tweet from Romney. Here's what he wrote to Tulsi Gabbard. Now, Tulsi Gabbard is a former member of Congress who currently serves as lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Army Reserve, and unlike Mitt Romney, has been deployed. Quote, Tulsi Gabbard is parroting false Russian propaganda. Her treasonous lies may well cost lives. Treasonous lies have cost lives, potentially. So you're betraying your country and committing murder. So what exactly did Tulsi Gabbard do? Did she call for a violent overthrow of the United States government? Did she come out and pledge allegiance to Putin? Did she get a Cyrillic tattoo on her neck? No, she didn't. What she said is, we have a problem. Here's how we know. She cited publicly available information and said we should probably deal with that problem. Tucker Carlson, Dr. Daniel Gerlstein works for the Rand Corporation. He was directly involved in removing Cold War weapons from Ukraine after the fall of the Soviet Union. He says those weapons were being cleared safely with the help of the World Health Organization and that the direction to somehow remove or destroy those weapons as the Russians were coming in was really designed to prevent introduction of these pathogens into the environment if they were actually uh, struck by fire. Gerstein spoke with WBAI earlier today. He agrees that Russia could be saying this as part of a front for its own use of these weapons. In the case of Ukraine, we helped to refurbish some of the laboratories that were there, make sure they were up to Western standards, that they were doing proper biosurveillance, that they were doing biosafety and biosecurity, that what research they were doing was being done appropriately. This was done, again, with all of WMD capabilities. I was the principal director for countering weapons and mass destructions in the office of the Secretary of Defense. And I went over on behalf of the Secretary of Defense to see about getting rocket motors from intercontinental ballistic missiles destroyed. And so I negotiated that with a counterpart in the Ukraine. So that's what our program was about. 
the assertion that they were ordered to destroy the pathogens. I think the World Health Organization was very afraid that if Russia struck any of these facilities with explosives, they could possibly have the escape of pathogens that could be dangerous. That's all legitimate science. And so we would expect that it would stay in its repository and it would be protected. But given the violence that's going on, it would make sense that whatever stocks were there were either moved to a more secure location or destroyed. Why wouldn't Russia have helped Ukraine like they did with their nuclear weapons? The nuclear weapons were removed per agreement between Ukraine, Russia, United States, and the United Kingdom. It was agreed that all of those capabilities would be returned to Russia. As luck would have it, not everything went to Russia. I live in a place in New York City, like literally a, a few minutes walk from where somebody died from anthrax in 2001, uh, that they never figured out why this poor lady somehow got poisoned with anthrax that was traced to a guy. They never arrested him. He died for Dietrich, Maryland. Does the U.S. have a bioweapons program? Absolutely not. We do not. In 1969, President Nixon called for the end of all offensive biological weapons by the United States. All the research was, was stopped. All the stocks were destroyed, etc. We have been doing biodefense. We're worried that an anthrax attack could occur somewhere in the United States, and we want to make sure we have diagnostic tests. We want to make sure we have medical countermeasures for soldiers. A purely defensive program, this individual, Bruce Ivins, who was under suspicion, was working in the Army facility that had responsibility for researching pathogens. In his particular case, it was anthrax, but also to help develop medical countermeasures. Are there any international agreements? Absolutely. The Biological Weapon Toxin and Weapons Convention, we shortened it to BWC, is the convention that develops the policy with regard to biological weapons. What is unique about this treaty, it's the first of its kind to ever outlaw an entire class of weapons, that is, biological weapons. Do you expect that Russia is using this as a cover for their own plans for a bio-attack? The Russians have thrown out the question about a chemical or a biological attack. It is certainly something that we need to watch out for if there was some sort of attack. And I can just say that depending on what was employed, it would be pretty straightforward to say it's not likely that Ukraine had anything to do with it. Dr. Daniel Gerstein works for the RAND Corporation. He was directly involved in removing Cold War weapons from Ukraine after the fall of the Soviet Union. And now you remember, you might remember from a story we did here last week, RT America, which is the news channel owned by the uh, Russian government, has been closed down in the United States and in most places around the world by the sanctions against Russia. A former reporter for RT America who was laid off is Caleb Malpin. He says the real reason for the war is U.S. aggression. Unfortunately, NATO doesn't want to let this end. This would immediately end if the, the Donetsk and Lugansk regions were recognized as independent. Uh, Russia wanted them to be reintegrated into Ukraine. That's what the Minsk Accords said, but Ukraine refused to implement them. 
Um, and if they can be recognized in their independence, and NATO uh, will agree not to pour more weapons into Ukraine, and Ukraine agrees that it's not going to join NATO, this ends. Russia doesn't want to absorb Ukraine into the Russian Federation. This, this is not about that. This is about the fact that the people in the eastern regions have been subject to eight years of relentless bombing and shelling. 14,000 of them are dead. Plus, it's about the fact that NATO and the United States have been piling all kinds of weapons into Kiev. Um, and because of that, uh, Russia has finally, after quite some time, drawn a red line. Um, and honestly, if the Communist Party or, or, you know, the more hardline forces in Russia were in power, this probably would have happened eight years ago. Um, but Russia held off. It wanted the Minsk Accords to be implemented. It wanted Ukraine to start treating the peoples of the eastern regions, Donetsk and Lugansk, with dignity, stop suppressing their language, stop shelling and bombing them, reintegrate them into the country. Ukraine made clear it wasn't going to do that, um, and that's what we're dealing with here. And I, I feel most people in Ukraine don't really want this war, and that's why we're seeing all these international volunteers pouring into Ukraine. These are extremists from around the world. And, you know, the actual Ukrainian military has largely collapsed at this point, but you have these extremist fighting forces that do have nationalistic and anti-Semitic and white supremacist kind of ideology. Caleb, uh, this sounds like... Syria all over again, but a lot mm -hmm. closer to Europe. <laughs> yeah, and this seems to be the strategy. And I think the hope on the part of NATO and the United States is to keep is to keep Russia involved in the country as long as possible. But my feeling is that in Russia, they have studied the fall of the Soviet Union. They know about Afghanistan and the Afghan trap. The goal of Russia is to find a way out of there as quickly as possible. You know, in 2008 in Georgia, they went in, they went out. And my hope is that Russia will move out as quickly as possible because they know that this is kind of a dead end and a trap. And the longer that they're there, um, you know, right now, support for, for Putin and the operation is very high in Russia, but that will change if, if this continues to, to drag out. What is the way out of this? What is the U.S. or Ukraine the obstacle here? I think the obstacle is the United States. I think Zelensky himself was elected on a platform of, of bringing the country back together, overcoming the divisions from the 2014 coup. So the fact that he's not doing that, the fact that he's not seriously negotiating with Russia indicates that Zelensky doesn't really have the power. Um, Ukraine is not really independent. This is the United States waging a proxy war with Russia and using Ukraine and using Ukrainian people's lives uh, as uh, as the collateral in that conflict. And that's absolutely unconscionable in my mind. Caleb Maupin, he's a former reporter for RT America, RT standing for Russia Today. It's owned by the Russian government and was closed down by the United States sanctions and in many other places around the world. Um, he's therefore unemployed and probably will be heard more on the WBAI News and other programs here. Margaret Kimberly is editor of Black Agenda Report. She agrees the United States is the party in this war that doesn't want peace, but to continue the war for domestic policies. It's been actually years of propaganda calling Putin a maniac, a dictator, a Hitler. The media just repeat the government line. There's no other narrative that's allowed to be heard in corporate media. You have to search like a Black Agenda Report and other outlets in order to get a different point of view. This is unfortunately a very successful PSYOP. I don't know what else to call it. People aren't permitted to ask a question, to actually even to talk about peace. So standing with Ukraine now means a no-fly zone, which is not as benign as it sounds, which is actually war. How do we get here, in your opinion? Because I think we were talking about passing a huge budget in order to address the mm -hmm. domestic problems in America, and now 
we're talking about no-fly zones over Ukraine. Well, that's by design. Part of the problem here is Biden's unpopularity, the fact that he hadn't delivered on what he had promised during his campaign, raising the minimum wage, student loan debt relief, build back better. So he was taking political hit, and rightly so. Changing the subject is very useful, and demonizing another country, elevating another country, leading people to believe it's this good nation when Ukraine is anything but. It's a kleptocracy run by oligarchs, and Nazi forces do play a large role in the military there. U.S. sanctions Russian oil and gas prices rise as a result. They come up with this new slogan of Putin's price hike in order to escape blame for a situation which they bear a lot of responsibility for. What should activists be thinking of doing in response to this? Our demand should be for peace. The U.S. can talk to Russia and Ukraine. There have to be good faith negotiations. It can't be what it's been for years with the U.S. demanding to have its way. There has to be some give. It's clear now Ukraine can no longer be used as this proxy to attack Russia. My concern about the bioweapons is that the U.S. will do what it did in Syria and will have its proxies carry out some kind of chemical attack and then blame Russia as a means of getting support for war. And that's Margaret Kimberly. She's editor of Black Agenda Report. And another commentator often heard on this news is Dan Kovalik. He's a progressive lawyer and author. He's currently in Managua, Nicaragua, where he's been observing the recent presidential elections there. He says that both sides have done some wrong things, but it's the United States that's obstructing the peace. We have to acknowledge the role that the U.S. and NATO has played in all this, which is a very significant and long-time role in, in provoking what's happened in Ukraine. There's a video of Joe Biden and his senators saying years ago that the continued encroachment of NATO up to Russia's borders would inevitably provoke a response. And, well, we've seen what that response is. And, again, that's not to justify Russia's invasion, but it's to explain it and understand it. And hopefully by understanding it, the U.S. can also play a role in ending this conflict and bringing a lasting peace to Ukraine. Russia saw ethnic Russians being attacked and killed in Donbass. Around 14,000 people have died in the conflict between the government and Kiev. And the Donbass in the last eight years, 80% have been the Russian ethnics living in the Donbass. Russia's asked that stop. It hasn't. The U.S. hasn't asked Ukraine to stop it. In fact, seems to have encouraged it by continuing to sell weaponry to Ukraine, even as it was attacking its own people. We know the CIA and the organization once known as Blackwater have been in Ukraine training various entities there, some of which have ultra-right-wing leanings. Everyone knew that Russia would react at some point, and they have. And uh, in some ways, the U.S. wanted this reaction for a number of reasons. What are those reasons? Well, I think it wanted for a long time to cut Russia off from the West economically, to cut it off from the SWIFT banking system. This was an excuse to do that. Also, there's some real practical reasons they wanted this. There's defense contractors that want continued war in order to justify 
the U.S.'s ridiculous amount of military spending. Of course, the U.S. just left Afghanistan and I think was looking for a new conflict. There was the interest of the oil companies, again, in justifying raising oil prices, which, of course, has happened. None of this, of course, to the benefit of the American people, only to a small number of corporations. And I also think there's political reasons. Look, there's always domestic political reasons for what everyone does, right? Putin had his own domestic political reasons in order to shore up his support amongst the Russian population. Biden also had his reasons. His approval ratings have been anemic with high inflation here, the economy not doing very well. I think Biden wanted attention elsewhere. Of course, that has happened. Though I think the last polls I show were that less than a majority of American people supported how Biden was handling this crisis. And all those reasons are not obviously appropriate reasons. What really concerns me also is that now the ability to have rational discussions about this have been largely turned off. There's just a, a hysteria about what's happening, some of which really crosses the line into racism against not just Putin, but the Russian people in general. And I think we need to take a step back and really think about what's happening in the world and, frankly, how we can avert a greater conflagration, which we might be heading towards. Dan Kovalik, who is a progressive lawyer and author, he's currently in Managua, Nicaragua. And very disturbing news related to the, what we've been talking about today, the uh, OSCE, or the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, Again, this very disturbing report, uh, their special representative and coordinator for combating trafficking in human beings, Valiant Ritchie, today called together the anti-trafficking authorities from 17 participating states, including the ones most affected by the unfolding humanitarian crisis in Ukraine, focusing on the risk of human trafficking. Amid the current crisis and measures being taken to address vulnerabilities of people on the move and to prevent trafficking, government representatives from Austria, France, Germany, Romania and Slovakia presented their national measures to respond to the crisis, including monitoring of online searches because of an observed spike in searches for Ukrainian women for sex and marriage and distributing leaflets translated into Ukrainian to inform people on the move uh, on the uh, on their rights and options. Representatives from the EU Commission presented the temporary protection mechanism established by the EU, which includes a uh, temporary residence permit and access to the job market. Over three million people have left Ukraine in the past weeks, crossing its western borders into other European countries, mostly women and children. They are particularly vulnerable, they say, and face significant risks of human trafficking during their journey or upon arrival at a destination country. And, of course, I could mention I don't remember those uh, those same kind of protections. Not that they these people don't deserve it. They surely do. But uh, we don't remember these given to uh, people who came from other countries such as Syria in Europe or from Mexico in the United States, for that matter, where uh, children were put into cages at one point by the government at the border, even though they were asking for uh, help and for protection from the United States. And let's come to the to New York City and to what's happening here, a revamped version of a specialized police unit focused on getting firearms off New York streets began operating on Monday in line with one of Mayor Eric Adams' central campaign pledge, pledges as gun violence in the city remains above its pre-pandemic levels. The rolling out of the unit coincides with uh, rising anxiety 
according to the New York Times anyway, about public safety among some New Yorkers, a feeling that has been stoked by a string of high-profile shootings and attacks on the subway earlier this year. The mayor and the police commissioner, Keechan Sewell, have said that the revamped squad, which they refer to as the anti-gun unit, will avoid past problems and that misconduct and overly aggressive tactics will not be tolerated. However, many activists here in New York uh, take take issue with that and are planning a protest for tomorrow, tomorrow morning at uh, City Hall, near City Hall at the Tweed office building. It's a coalition of groups. One of those is um, Victor Pate, who is working with the group that's trying to halt solitary confinement. He spoke with WBAI earlier today. Many, many organizations across the racial and religious divide that have come together in response to Mayor Adams' woefully pitiful budget proposal for 2023. Programs and services that have already been suffering and have suffered exponentially during the pandemic, what he's proposing does not even equate to what the city actually needs in terms of uh, budget to address all of the issues that we have dealt with during the pandemic, as well as all the issues we will be dealing with as we begin to come out of the pandemic. So we are gathering together to to let the mayor know that this is just not enough. There's too many services and too many issues that we need to be addressing, and we definitely need to have the appropriate funding across the divide. People are coming to say and let the mayor know that we are not satisfied with his administration in terms of the policies that he has proposed to put forth, especially as it relates to Rikers Island and the treatment that the people that are incarcerated there have received and continue to receive. Yesterday, the police announced the beginning of the anti-crime unit. Anti-crime. Street safety, I think it's the street safety unit that they're calling themselves, right? It's to me, who have experienced stop and frisk, it's the same thing warmed over. you just changing the names. So what's the difference if they have their names on the back of their jackets? What's the difference if they have on a different look or jacket uniform that identifies them as a street safety unit? And the communities of color are going to still be over-policed. Same thing with solitary confinement on Rikers Island. They did what they call themselves reforming and changing it is that as opposed to a person being locked in a 23 to 24 hour cell, not having any meaningful out of cell time, they attached an adjacent or constructed this fixture that's supposed to be a separate cell from their sleeping quarters and say this is going to be where they'll have their one hour out of cell time. How do you do that? You're still in a cell. It's only a cell change from where you sleep to where you have an opportunity to walk around. Same thing with the street crime unit that they're now using a street safety unit. The mayor says gun violence is a problem. The communities want something done about guns in poor communities. When you're talking about, yes, there is over-proliferation of weapons in our communities. You want to address that gun violence as you want to address the accessibility then you've got the need to start at the top to where it comes from and how it is filtered down to our communities but they don't talk about that they only highlight the violence in our community but then where does that come from
Victor Pate. He's the co-chair of the New York Campaign for Alternatives to Isolated Confinement, known as HALT Solitary. Their rally will be held tomorrow, March 16th at 11 a.m. It's called the People's State of the City Rally at 52 Chambers Street, the Tweed Courthouse in New York City. And that's some of the news for Tuesday, March 15, 2022. The news is produced by Linda Perry, our engineer is Reggie Johnson from New York City. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening.